0: Good morning. The texts this morning come from the Old Testament book of Job, chapter 13, verses 20 through 24, and chapter 14, verses 7 through 14. Job prays Only grant me these two things, God, and then I will not hide from you. Withdraw your hand from me and stop frightening me with your terrors. Then summon me and I will answer, or let me speak and you reply to me. How many wrongs and sins have I committed? Show me my offense and my sin. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? And then in chapter 14, starting with verse 7, he says, At least there's hope for a tree. If it's cut down, it'll sprout again, and and its new shoots will not fail. Its roots may grow old in the ground, and its stump die in the soil. Yet at the scent of water, it'll bud and put forth shoots like a plant. But a man dies and is laid low. He breathes his last and is no more. As the water of a lake dries up, or a riverbed becomes parched and dry, so he lies down and does not rise. Till the heavens are no more, people will not awake or be roused from their sleep. If only you would hide me in the grave and conceal me until your anger passes. If only you would set me a time and then remember me. If someone dies, will they live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. You will call, and I will answer you. You will long for the creature your hands have made. Surely then, you'll count my steps and not keep track of my sin. My offenses will be sealed up in a bag. You will cover over my sin.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles to the Old Testament to Job Job chapter 13, and uh, if you're a guest with us today, just so you know what we're doing, uh, we are in a series called Life and Uts. It's a a study of Job's journey through suffering, and uh, let me just give you a quick summary of what we know about Job. Uh, He was a wealthy man uh, in the ancient Near East who had a large family. He was extremely uh, devout, highly respected by his community. He was morally upright. He shunned evil. Uh, Job uh, loved, worshipped, and served God faithfully, but one day, quite unexpectedly, uh, most everything Job had was taken from him. You know, through a, a series of inexplicable and tragic events, he lost his children, he lost his possessions, he lost his wealth, he lost his health, he lost his status, and uh, had absolutely no idea why why it all happened. And uh, and as we've said throughout the series, that's what makes his story so relevant, so practical for us. Because often, when suffering enters our experience, you know we wrestle with the same question of why. You know why this, why that, why him, why her, why now, why me. And what Job's experience has taught us, at least I hope it's taught us, is at this point is that in the face of inexplicable suffering. Uh, we need to avoid simple answers and, um, and with humility concede that there are things uh, in, in this world and in this universe that we don't and we just can't fully comprehend, that life is, life is complicated physically, emotionally, socially, and spiritually, and, uh, and there are times that we have to just embrace that reality and the reality of not having all the answers. And yet through it all, as God's people choose to acknowledge God's grace um, in our lives. And that's that's really the choice that Job made. He said, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. In other words, he says, I I he says, I realize everything that I have in this world is not really mine. You know, it it's all on loan for God. I didn't bring it in with me. I can't take it out with me. God has allowed me to have so many wonderful uh, enjoy and have and enjoy so many wonderful things, all of them a measure of his grace. He says the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away may the name of the Lord be praised. Now, with that said, here's the deal. Job was as human as we are. And like any person who is suffering, he, you know, he, had, he still had thoughts, he had feelings, he had questions about what was happening. And so in chapter 13 and 14, he expresses himself to God. He has some, some really fascinating things to say. And that's what I want to look at with you this morning. Before we do, let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful this morning for the beauty of this day—a reminder of Your goodness. And yet, in the midst of the beauty, it is at times really hard to reconcile the ugliness of our world, of the pain, the suffering, and even now, as we look around, uh, we see conflict in various places. Uh, We see hate. And racism, we see shootings and violence, disease, and uh, sometimes we just we just wrestle with the why of it all, and so we acknowledge this morning that we we are limited uh, in our humanness, and uh, we we rest on you, our God, and your goodness and your wisdom and I pray this morning that Perhaps you might grant us a bit more insight on the why of it all as we look at Job's experience. And so I ask, God, that you would remove any any distractions from our our minds, our hearts, that would keep us from hearing your truth this morning. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you missed last week, <clears throat> one of the things that we saw Job do as he experienced suffering and as he interacted with people around him was he voiced his pain. You know, he... He openly shared how he was feeling emotionally, spiritually. Uh, At one point he uh, he says, if only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. He says, my pain is just, it's weighing so heavy on me, I'm just feeling beaten down, I'm in agony. And so for Job, there was, no, you know, there was no sugarcoating things. There was no religious cre- cliches. He, just, just raw, honest, honest emotion for him. And then on top of that, Job was spiritually candid when he said, The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. Translation, he says, it feels like God's against me. It feels like he's killing me slowly. And so with that being the case, here in chapter 13, Job prays. And through his prayer, uh, we learn a number of things. First, we learn of Job's greatest longing. Uh, In verses 20 through 24, Job makes this request to God. He says, Only grant me these two things, God, and then I will not hide from you. Withdraw your hand far from me, and stop frightening me with your terrors. Then summon me, and I'll answer, or let me speak, and you reply. How many wrongs and sins have I committed? Show me my offense and my sin. Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? Now, Keep in mind, and we talked about this last time, Job's wife and friends uh, embraced what we called religious moralism, uh, and that's, which means that they held to the notion that a person's relationship to God was and is a quid pro quo agreement. You know, if you perform well, if you're a good enough person, everything's going to be okay, no problems. If not, you know, if you sin, uh, if you mess up, if you you fail to pray enough, if you fail to give enough, if you fail to serve enough or have enough faith, God's going to get angry and he's going to make you suffer. I mean, if there's any kind of um, unexpected trial or trauma in your life, you must be messing up somewhere, somehow, some way. And that's what Job's wife believed. That's why she said to him, she said, are you still maintaining your integrity? In other words, are you still claiming that you've done nothing wrong to deserve all this, Job? You must have done something bad. Job's friends felt the same way. His friend Eliphaz says to him, Who being innocent has ever perished? Good people don't suffer. Those who plow evil and sow trouble reap it, he says. So Job, what awful, sinful, twisted thing have you done? If you want God off your back, man, figure it out and fix it. And yet, all along, Job maintains his innocence. And so here in chapter 13, he prays. He says, God, grant me just, grant me two things. He says, first, draw your hand far from me and stop frightening me with your terrors. Here's my Ray K translation. He says, give me a breather here. Cut me a break. And then the second thing he says is, let's talk, right? I mean, he says, he says uh, summon me and I'll answer or, or let me speak and you reply. However you want to do it, God, but let's, let's discuss this. In the truest sense, Job was saying, God, everybody's telling me I've done something wrong, and I don't know what it is. And if they're right, then, then let me know. How many, how many wrongs and sins have I committed? Show me my offense and my sin. He says, because at this point, I have no idea what I've done. But Job says, I know this. It feels as if you're hiding your face from me, as if you consider me your enemy, And the phrase, uh, hide your face, was a Hebrew idiom, which basically meant, you're not with me. You know, it feels like you're not with me. It feels like you've turned away from me. You've deserted me. Now think about it for a second. In all of this, what is Job ultimately asking from God? Uh, In verse 21, he says, "Uh, God, I don't want to hide from you. Verse 24 says, I don't want you to hide from me. His opening comment was, God, grant me two things. But the more I thought about it, the more I read through it, the more I realized in his pain and confusion Job actually longed for only one thing. And that was to know God's presence and to know that God had not abandoned him. I mean that's what he wanted more than anything else, more than answers, more than healing, more than vindication. And I tell you what, man, that is that is so that's so true of the human experience. Because often in seasons of suffering, you know, we let's face it, we have thoughts and we have fears and we have feelings that God has God is abandoning us he 's turned away from us. you know he 's forgotten us. I have a friend who is um, fighting a very serious disease, and he wrote me a note recently and he said i'm really struggling to feel god 's presence now he didn't say uh, you know he didn't deny god 's presence; he just was simply being honest and saying it feels it feels to me like God is far away it's like he's hiding and that that's exactly how Job was feeling. I mean, it was how, it was how the psalmist felt in a, in, a, in a time of suffering. In Psalm 10, the psalmist writes, why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you seem to hide yourself in times of trouble? By the end of the psalm, he says, you, Lord, hear the desires of the afflicted. You encourage them, and you listen to their cry. feels like you're far away. He says, but I, I know you're not. Elsewhere in in the Psalms, David, who knew a lot about suffering, writes, God, why are you so far from my cries uh, uh, of anguish? I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near. And then by the end of the Psalm, David says, You are my strength. I will declare your name. I will praise you. Here's the point. And hear this clearly, please. In times of suffering, it's not unreasonable It's not uncommon, it's not unbiblical, it's not unspiritual to feel as if God is hiding from us, as if he has somehow forgotten us. And so we we have this longing for a sense of his presence which, which our pain seems to mask. But here's the thing with Job, although it felt like God had turned away from him and was hiding from him, Job knew it wasn't true. He knew it wasn't true, which is why he keeps praying. And as he does in chapter 14, we get, we get some insight to Job's logic because he, he starts reflecting on life and he says, uh, for example, he says, um, mortals born of woman uh, are of few days and full of trouble, which is just a poetic way of saying life in a broken world is, is short and can, can be really hard at times. He goes on and he alludes to man's impurity and man's frailty, expressing amazement that God shows any interest in us at all. And then uh, with a tone of desperation, Job observes the natural order of things. And he says, he says, you know, at least, at least there's hope for a tree. If it's cut down, it'll sprout again and its new shoots will not fail. Well, what is Job saying here with that? And uh, it seems to me that he's using a metaphor to affirm <clears throat> a pretty important truth expressed throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, namely that in life, suffering is oftentimes like like pruning a tree. What do I mean? Well, think of it this way. One of the greatest uh, paradoxes of biological life is, is that strength, vitality, um, beauty, and the productivity of a plant requires pruning. I mean, if you take a, if you take a fruit tree or, or a vine or a rose bush and you just let it go its merry own way and never touch it, it it'll never be f- very productive or fruitful. It'll never reach its greatest potential. In order for that to happen, the bush, the vine, the tree needs to be cut. It needs to be cut back. In other words, it needs to suffer a little. It needs to be wounded. It needs to be stressed with some of its beauty cropped off. And only, only if that happened... Uh, happens? Does the plant, the vine, or the tree then become stronger, fuller, more beautiful, more productive, more glorious? In short, no suffering, no glory. And like it or not, Scripture says the same is true with our lives. And, you know, and as hard as it is for us to accept, just like the pruning of a fruit tree, suffering has a unique way of making us stronger and fuller, and wiser, and more beautiful, and productive, and glorious. As pop vocalist Kelly Clarkson sings, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And apparently, I don't know if you know this, but apparently Clarkson is familiar with the words and works of German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who said it first. That which does not kill us makes us stronger. So uh, I had no idea that Clarkson was a fan of early 19th century German philosophy. But apparently she is. But here's, here, here's the point. Uh, by way of this tree metaphor, on one hand, Job concedes this reality that suffering can make us stronger. He concedes the logic of it. But on the other hand, he says, you know, but here's the deal. At least the tree will sprout Again. You know, he says, a man dies and is laid low. He breathes his last and is no more. He lies down and does not rise. People will not awake or be roused from their sleep, the sleep of death. I mean, understand, you know, Job is really, he's really struggling here. He's struggling and he's saying, look, God, I know, he says, I know some suffering in life can make you stronger and wiser and more sympathetic and more compassionate, and more glorious and all that. I get it. I see it. I see how it's true. But I'm not just being pruned a little. I'm not suffering a little. He says, I am devastated. My family, my career, my possessions, my wealth, everything is gone. I'm sick as a dog. I'm on the fringe of death. I'm not seeing a lot of hope here because people are not plants. We don't have little, we don't have little roots in the ground which recover and rise up. When we go in the ground, we stay in the ground. Death is final. And then all of a sudden, Job has this idea. In verse 13, he says, You know, if if only you would hide me in the grave and conceal me till your anger has passed. If only you would set me a time and then remember me. And then in verse 14, Job poses a very famous question. Scholars agree this is an ast- astounding verse, an astounding statement. It's like all of a sudden Job says, okay, okay, okay. Maybe I have done something. Maybe I deserve to die. You're God, I'm not. But how about this? How about you put me out of my misery, put me in the grave, and when your anger has passed, then remember me. And then he asked the question. If someone dies, will they live again? All the days of my hard service, and that word for hard service means imprisonment, Basically, hard imprisonment. He says, all the days of my hard imprisonment in the grave is what he means. He says, I will wait for my renewal to come. You will call, and from the grave, I will answer you. You know, the question Job poses is one I believe every person asks at some point or another in life. If someone dies, will they live again? How you answer that is a whole other story, but everybody asks it. Um, You know, Job says, he says, God, I realize how life works on earth. I get it. You know, it's brief. There's joy. There's pain. There's suffering. There's death. And he says, and based on what I'm seeing, dead people don't get up out of the grave and respond when they're called. He says, but I will. And so here we see Job's uh, faith becoming kind of unfolding here in front of us. He says, I believe that I will, I will live again. And uh, it's interesting because his own logic denies it. But for some reason, for some reason, he has hope of resurrection. In fact, the Hebrew term we translate renewal here literally means to be fundamentally changed, transformed, relieved. Job says, I will go to the grave, but I know, I know my relief, my change, my transformation will come. God, you will call for, uh, for me, and from the grave, I'll, I will respond, I will answer. And here I got, I got a little stuck. I got to tell you, I got a little stuck here because I'm thinking, okay, well, what is that about? What is it that gave Job such confidence in this? Because it's a pretty bold statement. And then I saw it. The answer comes at the end of verse 15. He says, you, you will long for the creature your hands have made. And the, the Hebrew term for long carries the idea of intense desire and love. So you get what he's saying. He says, God, I know you created me and I know you love me and I know that your love is so intense you will not let me stay dead. You won't do it. I realize it makes no sense from a finite human perspective but you won't do it. You love me too much. See, for Job, uh, in his suffering, more than just knowing that God was with him, he he had faith that God had something for him. Life beyond the grave. And look, you know, in our world today, the secular view of human existence sees no such thing. it sees no no such future after after death or history. Uh, Eastern religions teach that that in death we lose our individuality and are assimilated into a great universal consciousness. you know our physical lives are gone forever, and even religions that acknowledge some he- heavenly paradise see it as a consolation for the suffering in this life and the joy that we missed out on. But Christianity teaches something completely and radically different. The Christian view is one of physical resurrection. Not hope in a future that's a consolation prize for the life that we never had, but a restoration of the life that we always wanted and are all looking for and searching for. Jesus spoke of this restoration as the renewal or the regenesis of all things, and clearly Uh, A few thousand years before Jesus walked the earth, Job believed that resurrection from death to life was indeed possible. And his faith in that was based on God's intense love, but not on God's love alone, but also on God's grace. Notice Job says in verse 16, he says, surely then you will count my steps, but not keep track of my sin. My offenses will be sealed up in a bag. You will cover over my sin." You will cover over my sin. I, I, mean, I, can't, I can't speak for you guys, but for me, Job's words here are quite amazing. I mean, his understanding of God's love and God's grace and God's willingness to forgive sin is staggering. I mean, think about what he is saying here. He says, God, I, I know I'm going to die. Everybody does. But because of your intense love and because of your grace, you will cover my sin and you will forgive me. And my renewal, my transformation, my resurrection from the grave will come. At some point, it will come. You will call for for me from the grave, and I will respond. I will answer. But how is that possible? Is it possible? I suggest that it is, and and here's why. Job's declaration, God, you will call me from the grave, and I will answer, points to an event that would happen centuries later when Jesus himself would stand uh, one day uh, at, at the grave of a friend that he longed for and he loved, a guy named Lazarus who had died. And as Jesus stood in front of his grave and, and in front of all family, all of his friends and family, and, along, along with the religious elite who were there, and they were saying, oh, yeah, Jesus claims to be God, but if he opened the eyes of the blind, couldn't he have kept his friend from dying? You know, They're kind of murmuring in the, in the crowd. And so in front of those religious skeptics as well as everybody else, Jesus said this. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And then, according to the Apostle John, who was there and saw it, get this Jesus called to his friend Lazarus in the grave, and the dead man responded. He answered, he came out. Jesus called, and the one in the grave responded. Here's the caveat. Lazarus was human and eventually would face death again. And so, in order to keep his friends out of the grave forever, Jesus knew he had to put himself in. You know, he who came and lived the perfect life we could never live uh, would die the death we deserve to die. A deity would go to the grave for us and be resurrected. Why? So that, as Job put it, God himself could cover our sin and grant us life beyond the grave. And, ha- you know, hey, I tell you what, I can't explain it. I can't explain it, but Job seemed to have an almost prophetic understanding, not only of who God is, but what he was willing to sacrifice and do for the creatures his hands have made. Uh, This Thursday I was driving into the city for a meeting, and uh, at one point I turned on the radio and I heard recording artist John Mayer singing, life won't go the way it should. You know it's nothing new, bad news never had good timing. And I heard those words, I thought, he's right. Bad news never has good timing, and yet bad news comes to all of us at some point or another. It does. It certainly came to Job. Job. And in the midst of his pain and his suffering, his confusion, even though there were moments when it felt like God had left him, he knew it wasn't true. He knew God was with him. And more than that, Job knew God loved him and loved him intensely. And he had faith in God's grace to cover his sins so that one day God would call to him and from the grave Job would answer. Now here's the good news. Jesus came to make possible what Job anticipated and believed. Because of Christ's resurrection to life, our resurrection is assured. But remember this. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, the one who believes in me, will live even though they die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And that's the question we each have to answer. Whether we're suffering or not at the moment makes no difference. Understand, God longs for you, the creature he has created. Uh, his love for you is intense, his grace available, and if by faith in Jesus you embrace it, God will forgive and cover your sin. And someday he will call to you, and from the grave you too will answer. Your renewal, your transformation, your resurrection will come. As the Apostle Paul in the New Testament explains it, Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Do you believe that? My prayer is that you do. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, this morning we admit before you that um, uh, in good times and in bad times, in moments of triumph, in moments of trial, um, we need you. And uh, I pray that in, especially in those moments of confusion and suffering and pain, uh, when there's a, there's a sense of loss of hope, we lack of feeling, your, a sense of your presence, I pray that like Job, we would have faith in knowing that you love us intensely. You have created us, designed us with your hands, and you love us intensely. And that your your grace is available to us. And that in Jesus, we are offered forgiveness for our sins to be covered so that one day you will call to us And from the grave, we too will answer. We need you today, Lord. We need you every moment of our lives. And we need you especially in those moments of suffering. So we worship you today as a God of love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, shall we? I want to thank you guys for coming this morning. and. you know, hopefully you're finding this this study helpful. I know I am personally, and uh, I hope you can come back next week. We're going to take an, a look at something else. That Job says a few chapters later, that's just absolutely astounding, and we're going we're to talk about that together, so I hope you can be back with us, but here's the deal, you know, really we only have a few options uh, in regard to this thing called life, we have a secular option, the secular world says life is an accident, you're a biological amalgam of, of fluids and atoms and chemicals and things, and life doesn't really matter, it doesn't, it's not going anywhere, it's meaningless, love is meaningless, it's all just nothing really. That's secularism. On the other hand, you have religion. That's all agree there's something wrong with us as human beings. There's something that needs to be fixed and that God exists in some way, shape, or form. God is out there and we need, to, we need to buck up. We need to be better people. We need to be good enough in order for God to care about us and help us and grant us life and nirvana and paradise and all those things. That's religion. It's about your works, your performance, being a good enough person, getting your stuff together. There's secularism, there's religion, and then there's Christianity that says God exists. He created you with his own hands, and he loves you intensely, and, uh, and his grace is available to us who are rebellious by nature, broken men and women, flawed, imperfect, sinful. But his grace is available, uh, and it's not about our, our works or our good efforts. It's about Jesus, who came and lived the life we could never live, died the death we all deserve to die and was resurrected to life to guarantee our resurrection. So that someday, God will call to us from the grave, and we will respond. And that's what it means to be a Christian, believing that that's true because of Jesus. And I hope you guys get that. And if you still have questions about it, following the service, some of our prayer team members will be up front. You can talk with them about it or talk to somebody you know from Parkview and let them share their story with you about how God has changed them. Because here's the deal. When you really understand this and you really put your faith in Jesus, God's grace begins to change us from the inside out. And so uh, I hope you know him. So thanks for being here this morning. If you have time, you can come back tonight. It's going to be a blast. Hay Rides, kids are going to, have, I'm coming. I don't have a kid that age, but I'm going to come just to see the other kids have fun and, and maybe try a little chili, you know. There's a lot of smack talk going on about the chili competition, so I got to come and figure that out. But anyway, I hope, you'll, I hope you can come back. We're going to have a lot of fun. So let me pray for us and we're dismissed. And now, Lord, I pray that as we go out into this beautiful day that you've given us, may we go with a, a great sense of your presence and knowing that you're always, always with us, no matter what, because of your intense love, because of your grace. And may we live our lives in such a way, in the good times and in the bad, as to point people to you, the God who loves them. And so today, may your hand of grace and peace and protection rest on your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you later tonight.